Hey, it's Swedenborg Live. Welcome. Thanks for joining us. My name is Curtis Childs, and I'll be your host. And today we're going to talk through all kinds of goodness and all kinds of truth. And the coolest thing about it is it's not just me here. We got other great representatives of the Swedenborgian view of the world. So would you all introduce yourselves? Hi, I'm Karen Giles, community manager and writer at Off the Left Eye. I'm really glad to be here with you today. Oh, yeah. Yep, and I'm Chelsea Odner, and I'm also a writer, and I do production management for all of our stuff at Off the Left Eye. This is the writing team for Swedenborg and Life. So if you like Swedenborg and Life, you already like us. And if you don't know what we're talking about, don't worry about it. So what the, how the game is played here is this is our chance to, to have, to be sure we're talking about what you want to hear about. So if you're in the chat, get your questions in, get them to us, and we will discuss. We want the conversation to be you directed. And we're going to actually prove it by opening with some of what you had to say about a question that we posed to you. So it to, we, to this week, we gave all of you, our audience, this question, which is, what do you think are some core qualities for a healthy love relationship? So you can be thinking about that yourself if you haven't answered it yet, but we wanted to give you a little sample of what you all have, how you've all responded, like what, what's, what's true for you. So Karen, you got that? Yes, I do. These are some, just a sampling of the incredibly wonderful responses we got from you on YouTube and Instagram and Facebook, and I've had to uh, edit them down so we can fit more in, but um, this was really inspiring for me to read through. So here are some of your responses. When both partners put the happiness of the one the one they love above their own. Each give 100%. Both are doing that, yeah. Caring and compassion and listening, trusting in God together. Understanding you are two different people choosing to travel together in life. Understand each other through hardship, realizing that you're on the same team. Communication and respect. Instead of relying on the relationship for happiness, each person relies on themselves for happiness and the relationship benefits. It's so easy to blame loved ones. Good listening without interruptions and projections. That each soul should- Wait, can I just cut in here? Just kidding. Yeah. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Is there, <laughs> they're talking about it. No. Don't interrupt. <laughs> yeah, don't interrupt. <laughs> that each soul shows up self-governed with God first. Common right. values and worldview is essential. Avoid selfishness. Avoid comparisons. Learn to love and forgive. Continuously, consistently choose each other through good times and bad. Respect each other's opinion. Be true to your words and your relationship in God. Friendship of the unconditional love kind. Wanting the best for that person and on their own terms as best as one can support. Respect for one another, empathy and selflessness. Deep listening, honesty, respect, playfulness, gentleness. Acknowledging that marriage love is a gift from the Lord, humility. Forgiveness, we're all going to mess up from time to time. Respect each other, be honest, be there for them no matter what. Friendship. Ability to apologize and make changes, and a good sense of humor. 
And finally, love, patience, caretaking, generously giving attention to each other's needs. And I just love the combination in there of, of, of being an individual person with an individual relationship with God, but also sharing that and really putting out, both people putting out for the other in order to um, really forge a friendship that's lasting. I think that's yeah. great. I feel like I could use that as like a daily reader, you know, could we just like collect them all and publish it in a little book and then I can just open it every day and be like, okay, I can, I can work on this today. That'd be good. Yeah, I want to say, I want to encourage everybody to go to the community tab on YouTube or the Instagram and Facebook places and read more because it's so inspiring. And part of it is um, to share it on this show, but also to just to have it there to share everybody sharing with each other. So it's, we, we all need that support and reminder. Yeah, and it's cool to see that this excellent life advice and to know that that intersects with spirituality. You know, the, the, there's a whole discipline of trying to get a relationship to work and the Swedenborg gives you this bridge to how that fits into your own spiritual growth and how it ties into life after death and all this cool stuff. So I love the integration of those things. So that's what was on all of your minds. And um, now we're going to turn to what's on your minds this very second. We're going to take some live questions from the audience. Before we do, and as we go, you may have noticed that on the screen here, we have a little thermometer. We're, we're a not-for-profit, so the only way we can do programming like this and everything else we do during the week is to have you all support and contribute. So as a little game that we can play here, if we can raise $100 during the course of this hour, you will all get a bonus 15 minutes of live interaction. Uh, whether or not that's a bonus really depends on how good of a job we're doing, but we appreciate the sentiment either way. So if you'd be willing and you enjoy our program and go to otle.cosvox.com, put in a donation while we're on the air here and we'll watch that rise and, and see if, if the will of the people is with us today to do an extra 15 minutes. All right. So the first question we have to get to is from Jenna Mann, who asks, and we'll just start out uh, with a really difficult one. Does God condone staying in a marriage with someone who is physically and morally corrupt because you're trying to keep a home and some financial stability for children? So here we have the, sort of the intersection, again, between, okay, what's practical and what's safe, and then the spiritual side of it, because you're talking about God. So is there is there anything that, that you guys feel like we can give somebody who's in a difficult situation like that or wondering about it? Yeah, I, I'll start by saying um, Swedenborg in his book, Marriage Love, definitely lists that there's times where separating is a very good idea. And it's um, not spiritually good for anybody to be in a, to stay in a situation where there is possible, you know, possibility of harm, um, inc including for a perpetrator. You know, it is not, it is not spiritually healthy for the perpetrator to be enabled. And um, this question is specifically about the children. Well, that's something that, um, you know, we can't, we can't uh, say some blanket statement because every situation is different and everybody has to really do their soul searching about what's best for their own children. Um, but, you know, you have to look at the usefulness overall. Um, just staying together because you're married is is not um, should not 
be the deciding factor. It's, is everybody's spirit, is everybody safe? Is everybody spiritually healthy in this situation? And yeah, a hard situation like that, there's going to be uh, tough decisions, you know, tough pros and cons. Of course, if there's actual physical abuse, I would hope <laughs> that people would get right out and get safe. But to, to consider that what's spiritually healthy for everybody is to um, not enable abuse and, and bad behavior, um, because, as I said, including for the perpetrator, that is um, that's not a good a good thing for their spirits. So it can be a very, um, you know, about God condoning God condones love and safety and long term spiritual health for everybody. So you have to um, not stay in a situation where you just you are feeling that those things are being compromised. Yeah. <clears throat> and I think um, like that's so important to make clear boundaries about that. Like you're saying with like, especially if it's, if there's physical abuse going on and things like that. And so kind of taking care of that side of when there's, uh, you know, really not, good, healthy situations happening. Um, but I kind of feel like on the other end of the spectrum um, of sort of an angle that it makes me think of, this question makes me think of is that uh, we are all in some amount kind of physically and morally corrupt. And I guess what I want to say is that like, this is such a, uh, this kind of a situation is so important to take it on a case by case basis. It's so hard to make general like, oh yeah, this is what it should be no matter what your individual circumstances are. So it's hard to sort of talk about this in a, in a general way because it will become true or not true depending on the specifics of, of any individual situation. Um, but imagining a scenario where you have two people who are married to each other and you're both human beings who are growing in your spiritual lives and that means having to have evils come to the surface, acknowledge them and turn away from them in your marriage for the sake of both of your health spiritually um, and, and the marriage itself. And so, um, you know, there's Swedenborg talks about like the separation is one uh, possibility that Karin mentioned. And another one he says is, is um, kind of, uh, what does he call it when it's just sort of wanting to simulate affection? Yeah. Um, go ahead. What were, were you going to give me the word, Karen? Yeah. Sim simulations of friendship. Yeah. I really agree with what you're saying because there are cases where it's more like a temporary problem and it can be the best thing to just like, okay, you're really not feeling good towards each other right now, really upset about something that's going on, but you can just, um, for the sake of having a decent home put on, uh, you know, just be decent to each other while you work this through. Right. And so, yeah, that simulation of friendship, I feel like that's like <clears throat> where you have, um, you know, if it, Swedenborg's idea about what that goodness itself is the neighbor can kind of help in this kind of a situation where it's like, if you're both wanting to serve what's uh, good, then you can be, you know, wanting to support that in your partner or wanting your, your partner to support that in yourself and giving each other a little bit of the benefit of the doubt in terms of having the chance to turn certain behaviors around, you know, to be able to grow spiritually. And then, um, and then because like understanding, which I think we talked about in the soulmate show this week, 
about how like trust and friendship are those core um, fundamentals to to marriage and that uh, you know if if there's if there's a commitment to wanting to um, move toward that and people are willing to engage and acknowledge you know the issues that are going on then then there can be um, reasons for staying because there's uh, you know a motivation towards getting better you know so it's not excusing anything that's not healthy for the relationship but it's being able to acknowledge that and then work toward knowing that like trust and friendship is the goal. And so things that are harmful to that need to be addressed. Um, but that may or may not like in some cases it might mean separating in other cases, maybe it means staying together. It's hard to know. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, that, that highlights just how difficult it is to give medical advice on anything like that. There's such so much precision and we often, we have a tendency to think of, well, God's up here and God has very generalized rules. And so he would see my relationship come across in a ledger and, and he checks like stay in or don't stay in because of my principle of, but God is more aware of the details and in the, the, the all the little minutia of everything than even we are, you know, and that each in every single situation, there are, if you can break it down to its atomic level, spiritually, there are things in every situation that God is tolerating that God, um, allows and that God wants and that there's a sweet more because there's really a distinction between the three. So the answer is, is really complicated. And I'm trying to think of, you know, how can we add value since we know, as you guys both alluded to that, that we, that we don't know exactly what's going on in that relationship, but thinking about that phrase, does God condone someone who is physically and morally corrupt? I mean, I think we established that if they're harming you or harming the kids, that that's, that's, a, that's problematic. We you can't, can't stay in that. But if you're saying, well, I, don't, I think this person, I don't agree with their morals. Is God going to be upset with me keeping bonded with them? You know, I think that that, that I think Swedenborg describes relationships in which one person has marriage love and the other person doesn't. So I don't think you're going to be, if that's, you can never know exactly what the concern is when somebody writes in. But if you're worried, like, am I somehow tainting my marriage love because of this relationship? Um, that's that's not it. But then and does God condone staying in a marriage? Yeah, I think God condones us trying to do what we think is right. Yeah. And it's really difficult. And isn't it weird how we're left to seemingly our own devices to figure that out? And there are these amazingly ambiguous gray area situations. And the, the only thing we can do is what we think is right. But know that God always condones what we think is the right thing to do. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's that's great to just remember that God's always looking at the intentions and the, the <laughs> decisions and details can be so confusing on earth. But God is not looking at the exact thing you did or the exact decision you made is just looking at that you're trying. You're trying to find your way. And that's what matters. And that's what he can use to guide you. Yeah. So. Hopefully that was useful, Jenna, and I appreciate you asking that question. Um, hey, everybody. I want to say thanks to a couple of people. Kathy, Jonathan, Pamela, Pamela, excuse me, and Sean all gave to us during that question. We're actually wow. at, at three quarters of the way to our goal already. Wow. <laughs> I want to say, so you guys might want to do your stretches right now. We may be doing an extra 15 minutes. Um, I want to say that... All of you who gave, you gave twice as much as you thought. 
No, we didn't double charge your credit card. But we have this, uh, an anonymous couple gave Off the Left Eye a $10,000 matching grant. So every time anybody gives to Off the Left Eye, they chip in the equivalent money. So your money goes twice as far. So all of you who are thinking about giving as we go forward, just know that money goes twice as far as well. And we'll see. It's up. If you don't want us to go another 15, everybody better sit on their hands now because we're getting very close. All right. So here's the next one. This is from Gitta Tim who asks, I never met my soulmate. Why? It doesn't that feel like a rejection. Then every who doesn't want a soulmate? I can see people who get burned out on I don't want another relationship, but nobody's saying like I wouldn't want a soulmate if one happened by. So why does it seem like some people meet somebody who's really great young and uh, other people don't? Does anybody have any uh, thoughts? Uh, we're going to be, you know, the internet is no joke. You guys think the internet's a joke? Wrong. Not anymore. Okay. All right. So, yeah. All right. So, the internet is no joke. You know, you think, oh, you know, the internet's never going to hurt us. It's never going to go down in the middle of our show. Now what do you think? So, hey, everybody, welcome back. If anybody's still watching and if we're still on, this is like part two of the show, uh, Swedenborg Live. Um, so we were right in the middle. We'll just start up like nothing ever happened. We were right in the middle of answering this question by Gitta Tim, who asked, I never met my soulmate. And why? And Karin, you had started saying some really cool stuff before we got the interneted. So can you recreate some of that? What? What can we tell, what, what can we say to somebody who's wondering why they didn't meet their soulmate yet? Yeah, um, I was talking about that because our life story is very, very long. It's, it only just barely gets started here in earthly life and, and it continues on to eternity in the afterlife. And so everybody is going to have, find their soulmate in a different part of the story. And so just simply not finding that soulmate here on earth early in life or even in this life at all doesn't at all have anything to do with that you don't have a soulmate or that you're not lovable or anything like that because there are all these uh, different things happening in everybody's story. Everybody's on such a unique journey and the things in our unfolding are going to happen in different orders. And so... Um, that that finding your soulmate is going to happen at different stages of life for everybody and in a relationship there are two players and so there are two there are more and more moving parts than usual because it's not only your own story with all its moving parts and things that have that are going to happen in certain orders there's this whole other person <laughs> that as having a life story unfolding too with all sorts of different things happening and that that can be, come on. You never think of that. You think, oh, my soulmate, and I, have I gone through enough to purify myself? For what if they're the one who's slacking off? And that's why you guys <laughs> haven't met. And at least you can be comforted by the fact that you know you're both going through the same experience right now, that you both have yet to find each other. So <laughs> they might be frustrated about it too. <laughs> There's at least one person that's not happier than you, and that's your soulmate. <laughs> so and I do, I do think that... Yeah, Providence is very uh, taking care of all of our life stories. And and Swedenborg said that, you know, for most 
you know, most people don't meet their soulmate, even if they do meet somebody and have a wonderful, like, it's just, you just don't know what the spiritual world life is going to be like. And um, I'm just thinking of times we mentioned it in our, uh, or we're, it'll be in one of our upcoming podcast episodes for Inside Off the Left Eye, but that Swedenborg uh, writes of experiences of witnessing people finding their soulmate in the afterlife and uh, and there's no chance that those people could have met on earth because they lived in different generations, you know, or they, they really, it wasn't sort of a lack of, uh, you know, it's certainly not your fault or it's not that you're not doing something because it could be just things that are just completely outside of your control. Um, that, and yet the Lord is working with whatever our circumstances are to make it so that good can come out of that. And there can be some value and use to, having the life that we do have no matter what yeah it's the same principle really as why why does anything happen why do some people die as as young children is because there's something wrong with them it's it's the ins and outs of the huge sprawling complex nature of of providence i mean the real answer to why why didn't i meet my soulmate is the answer is really complicated because there's all kinds of things there's your individual development and not even you don't know what going through a particular life journey or particularly good things or hardships will teach you. And and there's their life journey, but there's also the, the, all the other people you affect in the spot in heaven in which the Lord is trying to put you. There's so many factors. And it's kind of like, you know, we did this episode a long time ago that went viral, I would say, about why don't our loved ones who have died communicate with us more? That why do some people seem to get these visions and other people don't? The answer is complex and it doesn't line up one-to-one -one with whether or not they love you or whether or not you deserve it. It's because there's a lot of really complicated processes going on. I would say that Gitta, you're in good company. Swedenborg never met his soulmate or, or didn't know if he did or not. He didn't, didn't get married. He had like a hunch about somebody. But if, if this is the guy that now has a YouTube show named after him that, that can <laughs> sometimes stay online, you know, you doesn't mean you're not going to be someone. So, so all, all that is making light of it. But I really would say that that there's so many reasons, and you can just trust that that God uh, values people's journey to their soulmate, you know, more than anything, and is making that in the end, your story will be that much more perfect for it. Yeah, I really agree. And just trust that, like Curtis was saying, God holds this as very precious as part of your life story. If you really want to find a soulmate, um, that is absolutely something that will happen for you. And like we were saying in this week's show, um, you, you can be working on that relationship right now by just developing yourself as a person, because actually that soulmate relationship doesn't just start when you find that person it is going on your whole life and just anything you do to develop yourself spiritually to get grow in kindness to grow in in wisdom which means just applying love and kindness to life you are getting more and more ready for your soulmate and and because god sees the two of you <laughs> and when you're going to meet like you're you're both working on that relationship even if you haven't met yet and consider that your soulmate could already be in the afterlife. Your soulmate could, um, with my own parents, my dad was 16 years older than my mom. So he would, in his early twenties, like she wasn't old enough to get married yet anyway. So he was probably wondering, am I ever going to meet somebody? And also 
they each had to go through various things in their life before it was just the right time for them to meet anyway. So there's so many factors, but yeah, just trust that it's going to happen and you can be working on it right now by just developing your own ability to be kind to people and live with integrity. So thanks so much for the question. And, and hopefully that was helpful to you. Hey, uh, this is going to be awkward, but I, I'm going to bring up again that, that you guys can give us an extra 15 minutes on air if we raise just 25 more dollars. And the reason it's awkward is that, well, didn't we hop off air for quite a number of minutes there? <laughs> like, aren't we going to give you those back? No, that's not how it works. <laughs> we, we are, we are um, bound by the, the hours on the clock here. So if you want 15 more minutes of questions and you want your money to go twice as far, we just need somebody out there to give $25 or give $5 and then another person give $5. That will uh, go to make all the programming that we do possible. So thanks for considering. Hey, we have another question. This is from Pamela Collins who asks, did Swedenborg think it's okay to get divorced and remarried? Because not all religious -y spiritual things think that's all right. Swedenborg places this great emphasis on marriage. So what about, you know, if, if you're married to someone, is there ever uh, not just a reason to get out there, but, but also start a new marriage relationship? Any takers? Yeah, I'll start. How about, why don't I start? I'd never get to start. Okay, Karen, you start. Yeah, I, I'm, I'll start. Um, so, yeah, people will feel differently about this in, you know, uh, people have different feelings about this. But to consider that what the Lord, what God, the Lord is concerned about is your, your inner bond. Um, um you know, we, we, on earth, we can get confused between that outer marriage ceremony and the inner bond. And as Swedenborg clearly says, you cross over into the afterlife, you might end up married to a completely different person and than you were married to on earth. Um, so it's, it's something you have to just really think about that inner and outer and um, the sort of clear things Swedenborg says is that a, a adultery is, um, you know, though, of course, it doesn't have to break a marriage bond, people can recover from that. Um, that definitely can, can break a marriage bond if there was just, you know, like, um, it went deep, that adultery, but also that adultery is more than just a physical act. Um, there can be uh, deeper ways of um, betraying uh, you know, um, a, a deeper kind of adultery is is um, separating what your ideas from genuine love or what you do from genuine love. And so there can be other forms of breaking a marriage bond. Um, this is a very personal thing. But again, I don't think uh, what I understand from Swedenborg is it's not God saying, wait, you sign the dotted line and you're not allowed to do that. God is um, looking at your deeper bonds and um, it's, it's never about the external. It's about the internal and the in intentions. And so um, this is a, a, a very personal, <laughs> a very personal issue. Uh, maybe I'll stop, pause there for some other commentary, but Sure. Um, yeah, Swedenborg gives like a long list of the, the short answer is 
there are circumstances in which it's okay to get divorced. The Swedenborg gives a big list of them. And he's, and also, and it's, it's, he gives this whole list of here's when it's okay to get divorced. Here's when it's okay to get separated. And they're long enough and expansive enough that you can infer that these are general directions. There's probably not every single circumstance listed on there. But on the other hand, he, he says, he does talk about like, it's not just something to throw away because it's not fun anymore. There's certainly this current of like, you want to try to, he describes it as sacred to a point. So there's a, there's a will and an effort to make it work. I think, yeah, as with all things, it has to do with, you know, what's really going on in, in the intent and, and people trying to do what they think is right. Um, also, the, the remarried question, we just, is in this episode, right? We talked, this was talking about how he describes in the afterlife, people who have been married to multiple people, spending time with each one to see which one is their soulmate, right? He doesn't say the people who have been married to multiple people are quickly escorted to hell for doing that. So they're obviously, there's, it's something that, that's not detrimental to, to spiritual life. So those are a couple of thoughts that I have. Um, it's, it's, it's always case by case, but there's not, yeah, again, some arbitrary divine law that says under no circumstances may you divorce and remarry. W- with everything, you've got to know what the situation is. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think so that to heat Swedenborg doesn't give a blanket, don't get divorced or, you know, that's not, he's sort of the whole work of conjugal love, or at least, um, I guess sort of the second half of it is describing all of these nature, the different kinds of, um, uh, you know, corruptions to marriage love and what that's like. And, um, and that kind of, kind of the, the big takeaway that I get from his work on marriage love is like, we're human and we mess things up and we, you know, have a hard time doing this thing called marriage. And there's just going to be a lot of situations that you have to, um, that you can take on a case by case basis. Um, and, and he describes these different situations of like, okay, if you're, if you really don't, you know, he's also writing in the 1700s. And so this, we, you know, laws and society is different today, but, he describes like, well, yeah, it's very much likely that you got married only for the reputation, like for the family connection that you got through this. And so you might, he just sort of accepts the fact that it's like, you might just totally not love your spouse, but it's still useful to be married because it keeps, gives you guys both a place to live and, you know, take care of your kids and whatever. Like he just describes um, a lot of different scenarios that definitely uh, go across the spectrum in terms of what, what can work in certain situations and maybe isn't uh, working in others and everything. So. Right. And there we wade too into the great um, descriptive versus prescriptive debate. Like when, when is Swedenborg talking about things as they are versus when is he describing how they should be? Um, So we, you know, you could go on and on in that, but I think we've covered the spirit uh, of it. So I think let's move, we got it. We got another question. So I think let's move on to that one. Is it good? Okay. Thanks so much, Pamela, for for that question. Hope hope you found that helpful. Before we move on, the suspense is building because we're close to our goal. We're only $25 away, which will be matched by, again, by our grant so that overall $200 will go to off the left eye. So if you guys want to do an extra 15 minutes and someone can find $25, please donate and then we'll, we'll have it going. So Mr. C and J Williams asks, 
When our spouse passes before we do, are they living and interacting with our spirit in the spirit realm, or are they patiently waiting for us to arrive? Hey, that's interesting to think about. Are we there? Do we take uh, sort of night vacations there, or are we present in some way? Uh, what do you guys think? Hmm. Karen. Yeah, um, I, to th thinking about that, I take the, um, the mixture of things that Swedenborg says of, on the one hand, people in the afterlife have these full lives, which they're doing stuff and, you know, they're just very active and learning and, and, and uh, acting and <laughs> serving. Um, but also that we are so connected with them here on earth, like in spirit, we are actually interacting with people in the afterlife and can even can sorry, there's somebody bit. reaching out to chelsea right now yeah. <laughs> um and can even sometimes we can be seen temporarily in the afterlife by a community there like because our spirit is already there um we're definitely working with spirits and angels all the time so when it comes to a question like that like our spouse are we I just think both like, yes, to both. Like I picture um, just from what I glean from Swedenborg's descriptions, I picture a person in the afterlife is, is doing things, but they are also way more aware than we are of how they are interacting with those that they are bonded to on earth, especially a spouse. You know, that this, the spirit, Swedenborg says, the spirits are dwelling together. They they are dwelling together while the two people are on opposite sides of the veil. And so that has to mean that they are um, progressing together, that they are in some way doing things together. I don't know what that would, that experience would feel like from the afterlife side, but it, I do believe that um, it's not us, you know, patiently waiting and tapping your, <laughs> tapping your foot there um, that I believe they on the other side would be aware of how they're working with their, their beloved here on earth, like how the, how that journey is progressing together and how they're, um, you know, it, and it might be sort of correspondence, like the, the one, the person on earth is engaging in something and the spouse is engaging in the corresponding thing, you know, the spiritual version of it, and they're actually working together. So I believe there's a lot of togetherness uh, that they're more aware of on the other side um, than we are. Uh, and especially today, I just do feel like the, the veil would have gotten thinner since Swedenborg's day, since the, the last judgment kind of started this big clearing of the blockage. And um, I'll bet there's even more awareness than there was at the time when he was writing. Yeah, that's great. I love it. it and Chelsea, I want to hear your thoughts uh, on that. But I always want to say, don't um, don't hurry because we're going for fifteen extra minutes. <laughs> we got a gift from Luciano. We actually now are at five hundred and seventy-five dollars oh raised. So we're we're like way, way, way into our fifteen minutes. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Um, okay, well, let's keep on. So so we'll be here for another half an hour. Just going straight at all of your questions and, and all that. So did you have any anything on that, Chelsea? Um, no, I really didn't. I think Kari okay. covered it really well. Um, yeah. <laughs> but then let me just bring up the obligatory mention of 
the story of Swedenborg interacting with people's spirits while they were unaware of it. He gives this, we've mentioned this pretty often, so some people may say, Curtis isn't bringing anything new to this, but I don't mind if they say that. Swedenborg has this obscure reference to him traveling in spirit and interacting with people he knew spirits. And the next time he saw that person in real life, the person didn't know that, that they'd had that spirit interaction. So to me, I'm just thinking of, I think of it like a some kind of romantic movie or something where may it could be that your spirit and your spouse's spirit are spending these really tender times together with you, like on some level there, but maybe you don't remember it or something when you come back. So there could be, there's, yeah. a, there's a precedent for that kind of like actual togetherness time while, you know, while you're waiting to reconnect. Yeah. And I guess, I guess maybe the only point I, that is making me think of is like that where we are in this world, we have the least amount of information to work with in our minds. And as you grow spiritually, and especially when you pass on into the next world, your perception grows and you enter into higher and brighter forms of spiritual light. And I think part of that um, is that the perspective that you get on the other side is more complete than, than our vantage point from down here. So I was just thinking, even in the case of a couple where maybe they loved each other tend- tenderly, one spouse dies and the one on earth is deciding to remarry, but feels really, you know, intense or unsure about that because they love their spouse that's on the other side or whatever the situation could be. Um, just knowing that the, the spiritual side of things has a deeper grasp. And like we were talking about earlier, really has a sense of our intentions. And, and so it is that deeper level of ourselves that our spiritual connections with people are with in the other life. So it's not kind of a, um, you know, there's, there's more of an understanding from that perspective. And we're kind of the ones on this side who are having to really work without all the information and trying to do our best. So there's sort of just major benefit of the doubt for all of us here from the spiritual side. Yeah. And that's blanket across our entire lives, man. We don't know what we're doing here. Uh, good. Well, okay. Hopefully uh, that was helpful to you, Mr. C and J Williams. Thanks for the great question. And I want to say thanks to Lamar who made a contribution. We are now up to $600. That's because of the matching gift. That's $1,200 going into pr- making off the left eye programming possible and making it reach the world. So bringing whatever impact it's had for you out to the next person. If you're still out there and think that you want to make a contribution, just know yours will go twice as far uh, as well. So let's do a next question. We have, this one is from AB who asks, can a pair of soulmates be divided that one goes to heaven and one goes to which is definitely the next question that comes up if you really start to turn your gears on it. Can we provide any kind of answer on this? I'm curious to find out. Karin, yeah. I think the definition, the definition, oh, definition, <laughs> I'll get it out. Definition of soulmates means you are two individuals with minds that can have different aspects and things, but your deepest goals are aligned. And so from my understanding of that, it would not be possible for you to be soulmates and one goes to heaven and one goes to hell because those are two completely different deepest goals. Um, Swedenborg describes the deepest goals of hell being self-centeredness and greed, basically materialism or, you know, basically wanting everyone to 
uh, bow down to you and wanting to own everybody's possessions. Whereas the deepest goals of heaven are love towards God and love towards the neighbor, wanting to serve others, wanting to serve a common good. So you, you couldn't be soulmates if one had the complete self-centered goal and one had the complete altruistic goal that, that just goes against the definition of soulmates. So I think it wouldn't happen. Great. I love it. And uh, makes me think of a passage that Swedenborg wrote where he says, it's something about, you know, people who long for a conjugal relationship because of this conjugal pairs are born. So it seems like it's something that God is able to foresee and make it so that there's two people that are going to find each other. And it helps to realize that God, to God, the whole future is present. God is outside of space and time. So you can't say, okay, look, I, you two are scheduled to be soulmates, but then in the course of time, you chose you want to go to hell and you chose you want to go to heaven. It's, it's, it's hard to grasp, but it's somehow more complicated than that. It's, th there's a mechanism in there where it's not, well, we've started and let's wait and see what happens, you know? Yeah, and I think I think uh, we mentioned it maybe in the the soulmate show this week that the Lord arranges it so that um, soulmates are they ultimately oh maybe it was in the previous week's show married in heaven as well is this idea that when cup when people come together in the afterlife they uh, they become one angel and uh, but two people and they belong to each other like Karen was describing. And, um, and that bond is really so deep that it, it really is reflecting the marriage of love and wisdom. And, and it's interesting to think about what that marriage between love and wisdom is where wisdom is the form of love, you know, and love is the life of wisdom. Like you really can't have one without the other. So even though you're having two people who, you know, are vessels for the Lord's love and wisdom in and of themselves, they are, together connecting together like love and wisdom do so you wouldn't have uh you know any any false combination would would be falsity you know it wouldn't be a true um marriage connection like that so so yeah definitely i think they there wouldn't be that kind of a split awesome Real i would add um yeah just that we have to also not um make assumptions from the earthly point of view of who's going to heaven and who's going to hell. You might have a, a couple where one has a, just a very friendly personality and one is super grumpy. <laughs> it's not oh, yeah. It's a, a B is like using this to kind of uh, take a shot there. Just kidding. No, but uh, like, seriously, uh, I was just reading something in divine providence about how people can just have a lot of, problems on the outside and yet in their core their deepest goals are good um so we we can't make those assumptions um so it's it's about the deeper the deeper goals that's yeah those deeper goals which is what determines when you go in the afterlife which direction you're going to turn um that's that can't be divided like that but out, outwardly on earth you might have some pretty different <laughs> scenarios but still they feel bonded somehow. Great. Well, thanks so much, A.B. It's a great question and definitely one I've thought over before. So it was good to get to hear everyone's input on that. And yeah, it's, it's uh, cool to think of you know, the amount of care that goes into making sure 
the things that need to happen happen. Next question. This is from Nana Rosebud, who asks, how does your soul recognize a soulmate when on this earth? When you are in love, it's a purely hormonal thing, but how do you know it's soul connection through all the things going on in your body? Because you could have people who are really, Romeo and Juliet, right? Really into each other, but didn't turn out that great. So what, what is it, you, you know, what, how, how do you see through, how can you tell um, if this is the real thing or not? Um, I can get started. Um, um, one thing to remember is it's, it is hard to tell at first, I think, because, you know, there, there is this <laughs> hormonal attraction and things. Um, and also it's something that is um, being built between two people, a soulmate, even though God is seeing the end, the end of the story or the result, if they are soulmates or not in the long run, um, the two people are still, they're building it between them. And so it's not there in its completeness right away. Um, it's something that you have to go on a journey to, to uh, develop between the two of you. Um, but I think, so I think you can't know for sure right off when you just feel attracted or feel in love with somebody, but there, there are clues I think you can think about, like just do you feel friends with this person? Like um, not just attraction, but friendship. Do you feel some mutual respect? Do you, well, I guess um, I'm, ju I'm just thinking between uh, is this my soulmate and just is this a healthy relationship? I'm, I'm not sure how to sort those out, but right. uh, just things to uh, things that might you, you should be aware of is don't be in a relationship if, if you're all crazy attracted to each other, but you feel real disrespect going on or you don't really care about what they want you only care about what you're getting out of it or vice versa they they seem to be doing that for you that could be some flags like oh maybe this isn't my soulmate thing um but uh yeah remember it's it's something that's being built so it needs to start healthy you know like be uh founded upon something that is not not only attraction but also re mutual respect and friendship and that kind of thing um, so starting with those clues and then building, um, you will be discovering it along the way, I think. Yeah. And I, it's one of those interesting things where uh, something with the question of um, how can you recognize your soulmate? There's this thing, I think this is a common theme in some kinds of spiritual life things is this idea. I mean, it's a, it's an interesting misunderstanding that can happen about God too. this idea of what does God want me to do as if there's this external source that can tell you what to do. But what Swedenborg learned was that, um, you know, our, the nature of our connection with God is that we live as if of ourselves. And when we choose goodness, then the Lord can live through us. So it's sort of the unfortunate situation that nobody's going to tell us, you know, what to do. God's never going to say, go do that. Exactly. Even, even Swedenborg himself in writing these spiritual, these, his works, he feels he'll say, God commanded me, you know, to write these books, but um, his whole process is really actually his own process of thinking, what am I, what should I be doing? Like there's a more intimate connection with 
him choosing to do to to do the things that he feels called to by God. Like there's this necessary um, engagement, like agency of our self involved. And I feel like there's just a similar tie that you can make to the soulmate question of to just be wondering who's my soulmate out there suggests that it's it's outside of yourself and you need to find it or somebody's going to tell you that that's what it is or somehow you'll recognize it. And Swedenborg describes that that kind of recognition happens in the spiritual world, but I think it's purposefully not exactly the way it happens on earth um, because we are having to use our sense of self to really, um, you know, uh, like if you were to have a sense of, oh, there are these signs. And so this person is my soulmate. I'd better get together with them. That's not building your, your sense of self. Uh, you know, you're not choosing it in the way it's being sort of coerced, even if it's this sense of, Oh, well, I saw these signs. So it has to be true. Like there's, there's sort of just this wonderful risk involved in it where we need to choose as of ourselves, like use our mind, engage our rationality to say, you know, is this, do I, how do I feel with this person? Do we work together, you know, in our relationship, da, 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 you know, all the normal things you might think to just say, is this a relationship I want to be in? And, and then making that choice sort of in the dark of like, you don't know is actually the part of that essential process of building a soulmate relationship. And so it's sort of this progression, you know, of maybe growing in awareness of your sense of soulmateness, but just like how our whole lives are, the sense of what does God want me to do? But it's kind of in the doing that we start to get the sense of, oh, I do have this connection with God and God is teaching me how to live my life. But, you know, we just maybe we, we sort of aren't necessarily meant to have that information at the beginning. And that's part of our development of ourself. Yeah, yeah that's great. It makes me think about uh, miracles. And you might think, well, the best way isn't the point of life to want to go do good things and believe that God exists and and form this kind of partnership. Wouldn't it be super helpful if God appeared to you early on and said, I'm here and this is what this is what I want to do. Then you do it right. But Swedenborg has a lot of material on how how miracles are damaging to our spiritual psyche, that they actually shut down our rational inquiry into things and things that are absolutely essential for us actually forming this connection. So it'd be the same thing if God said, this is your soulmate. It freezes. Swedenborg describes it at one point like a statue versus a person. It would freeze your idea of this is my soulmate because it's just a command rather than this living, probing, and working and growing. So that's one side of it. And the other thing that, that you both alluded to is we don't know. I mean, you, you don't know. Even Swedenborg, who was as I said, super enlightened and could see what was going on with all these things of life. He had at the end of his life, uh, I think it might be that person, right? (laughs) And that's, that's as far as he got. And, you know, he, he's, he was about as clear sighted as you get. And, and, and somebody's your soulmate. That's the future. Even though you're living in a relationship in the present, whether or not they're, they're your conjugal partner, that's the future. And angels don't want to know the future. I mean, we that we we have the point of our spiritual growth, which is what allows us to become soulmates with someone, is to more and more say, I I want the Lord to do exactly what He wants to do, you know, in, in the future, and I'm not worrying about and trying to control the future, which is disappointing because we want to know this stuff right now. But it's just occurring to me now that there's an element of that that that's par- maybe part of why everything is rigged so confusingly here that there can be something as important as 
the soulmate thing. And yet we're just kind of getting our best shot at it. You know? So Karin, yeah, you look like you want to say something. Yeah. I love what you guys are saying. And I think what I'm get, getting out of what you're both saying is it comes down to being in the present and making a daily choice I want to be with this person, you know, like that's a everyday choice. And for every day that you make that choice freely, it has to be a free wanting to be with this person. Um, I, that strengthens over, you know, each day that you choose that. And so people that have chosen that for 75 years are, have this bond, but that was only built one day at a time by consenting and choosing that day. And so that's how soul mateness is built by God one day at a time. Awesome. Hey, we're in the bonus. We're three minutes into the bonus time that you've all made possible through your contributions. Thank you so much. I hope you're feeling that bonus energy. I just want to say, even though we already met our goal, we have this $10,000 match that we are trying to get all the way through by September 30th. So anything you give now in the waning hours of this will go towards that. Or if you're watching this afterwards and you give, it will go towards that match. We'd really like to get that whole $10,000 applied to us. So don't, don't feel like your gift doesn't matter now. It still does. Everything that, that everyone gives allows this to, to keep going. So speaking of keep going, we have another question. This is from Eric Rockham, who asks... Are there any of Swedenborg's scientific works that you found fascinating or that were pertinent to his spiritual subject matter? There we go. I want to, I know Chelsea's got to have something about this, but <laughs> is it, is it just, you know, Swedenborg found out about spirituality stuff and then scoffed at the, the, the soulless science he was in before. What, 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 um, what's going on with that? Yeah. Um, so Definitely a couple of bells went off in my head with this one. Um, I think, uh, yeah, interestingly, Swedenborg does, I, I just happen to know because it's fresh in my mind, don't think I carry this information around with me on a daily basis. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're, she's basically prepping us to not feel inferior right now. <laughs> in a letter that, so Odinger wrote to Swedenborg and asked, uh, you know, why... Why you, some guy who's into philosophy, why were you chosen for this spiritual task? Um, and Swedenborg explains that his work in the sciences were this essential preparation for the spiritual awakening that the Lord was leading him to have, to be able to do the, have the spiritual insight that he had to be able to write the theological works. Um, and, uh, you know, I've known that that is what Swedenborg said, and, but that's, I've gotten a, more of a sense of appreciation for what that means, um, especially so the work in particular is scientific works on the brain um, that Swedenborg has that he amazingly had this insight into how the brain works that was more kind of like part and parcel to his spiritual experiences too. So it's like, he wrote scientific works about the brain and studied the brain. And some of his articles are even to the neuroscience standards of today are still unparalleled. Like he's, he wrote about things that were only just starting to have the technologies to be able to actually study in the brain itself. Um, and, uh, but it's not that he shelved that and stopped writing about the brain, but he writes a ton about the brain in the theological works 
and about the way that the spiritual influences work in the brain and um and that uh and i find that that talk about pertinent like it's has even more relevance today now that we do have this kind of um you know neuroimaging that we can do because like part of the some of the coolest stuff right now is how we can understand how the brain works and then use that in our own uh actual like self-help practices of like meditation and stuff like that um the way the breathing the way the breath impacts our nervous system <laughs> and so that's obviously our brain and then how our brain um uh gets regulated like when you do breathing practices and meditation that that literally grows and shrinks different parts of your brain that help you know enhance compassion and self-awareness and sort of uh shrink parts associated with stress and the fear impulse the fight or flight and stuff and um and so swedenborg writing about that brain that brain research that he did before his spiritual awakening carried straight through and became the foundation for him to continue to talk about and learn even more deeper insights about the correspondence of the whole human body, the brain, the heart, the lungs, blood vessels, everything. And um, so that that's one. That's one. <laughs> and stay tuned, because it's not like we're not doing a show about that coming up uh, in our next quarter of content. So <laughs> it's not like Chelsea, you and I weren't going over your notes for that today yeah. for the show. So it's, listen, it's on our minds too. And, and we're looking forward to digging into that further. Um, I want to go to the next question so we can get another couple before the end, unless Karin, you had something bur burning in your pocket for this one. No, she covered Great. it beautifully. Great. Okay. So this is from Clifford Falk who asks, once you're together in heaven, married, do you stay together or do the processes keep on going? Before we answer that, when you were talking, Chelsea, in the last question, uh, the camera cut to me and I was like, this because, <laughs> because a helicopter was so loud here and I was like, I could hear it coming up and I was like, uh-oh, it's going to pull the Zoom screen to me. Uh-oh, and it finally did right in the middle there just for a second. It didn't ruin your answer, but it did distract a little bit. I think it enhanced my answer if it showed you reacting with this awe like, and wonder. Yeah. Curtis reacts to Chelsea's newest comment. Okay, so again, the question from Clifford Falk. Once you are together in heaven, made it married, do you stay together or do the processes keep on going? And it's kind of a little of both, right? Karin. Yeah, I'll start by saying, so he's specifically saying heaven, not the world of spirits. So I'm going to say, just like once you get to heaven, from what Swedenborg learned, you stay in heaven. You, I mean, you can, you still go through processes. You might even temporarily go down into the world of spirits and go through some stuff to do some processing, but then you come up. So you are never um, not going to be in heaven. I mean, as far as where your heart is and where your home is, um, you may travel and go through things, but that is where you stay in, in accordance to your, your heart and your home. And so I think of it in the same way of marriage in heaven you know, there's a lot of processing that goes on in the world of spirits as um, people figure out who they are and what the nature of their relationships are. And in heaven, if you are married, you're going to stay married. That doesn't mean you will just like on earth, you might be very 
committed and married, but for a while your spouse needs to travel here, or maybe you go through something and um, it doesn't mean you don't continue to have things happen in your relationship, um, but you're not ever going to stop being married. If you've made it to heaven and you are married in heaven, that means you totally chose each other with every ounce of your being. And so that can't just go away. You know, that's where I feel like what God has joined together, no one can put asunder. Like at that level, that is a, a made bond. And you, and you, like we were saying in the previous question, um, you chose it every day with your, with your heart, you have chosen it with your inmost being. So that doesn't just disappear. That is, that is, you can count on that. And so you will continue to go through things in your relationship. You'll continue to learn more about each other. You'll continue to learn more about what you're doing together. But I would say just the question, um, do you stay together? The way I'm thinking of stay together, you know, like your hearts are permanently bonded. That's great. I love it. And I, I want to leave that there and say thank you, Clifford, for the question, because we have a last question here that takes a new angle on it that, I, that we haven't really been addressing, but I think it's really important to, to talk about. So this is from Press Play, who asks, isn't it somewhat childish to be so relationship dependent? Why should one's fulfillment rely on a supposed soulmate? Isn't it true that in, in the world we have this whole thing of, wait a second, I'm learning to love myself. I've been in this string of relationships, or I don't want to define myself based on somebody else. And now here we are talking about this is like the greatest, most important thing. So how do we balance those two things? What's the answer to, isn't it a little bit, can it, can it be dysfunctional to define yourself in terms of a partner? But here we are, Swedenborg is saying this partnering of souls is super important and integral to being an angel. Mm-hmm. What do we do? What are we going to do? I'll, I'll start it off by just saying, again, our earthly point of view is very inadequate for really understanding what Swedenborg was witnessing there of what is heavenly marriage. Um, there, so we have to be willing to stretch a little bit. And I think it's... Um, maybe a better angle to think in instead of like looking at earthly relationships and how they work, think more in terms of the God person relationship and how there is a, you know, can can you just get along without God sort of, or like, why do I need God? Can I do it myself? So I, I just feel like that direction of thinking might, might get you towards an answer to this, question better than kind of looking at earthly relationships. And I were just trying to figure out how to make that work. Um, that this, this realization that I need God and, and God needs me, frankly, I mean, I, I am, um, a way that God, um, interacts with, uh, a vehicle to do things in the world. Um, it is something more like that, I think. And, so you get a pr- primary is you get yourself right with God. And then there is something that's more akin to that um, beautiful interaction where you are fueled by this love and you interact with this love that has something more to do with he- heavenly marriage than needing to um, be dependent on somebody else on earth. I don't know if that made any sense. Someone else. Oh, yeah, I, I think so. And I think like, the 
the way that it comes to my mind, or this might be a little too much of a cheeky way, but it's like Swedenborg, Swedenborg's writing on marriage kind of turned the whole thing on its head to such an extent that, that married, like putting the emphasis on the internal marriage that happens inside of each of us so that the soulmate experience is like the bonus you get. <laughs> I don't mean bonus in like a, it doesn't really matter, but just that uh, he says that no, no marriage between two people is going to happen if, if the marriage of love and wisdom isn't happening inside of each person. And so um, one of his definitions of married love is a couple, two people who have this marriage of love and wisdom in them and between them. Um, and so then that's how the, the relationship happens from there. And so uh, sort of the, just basically echoing what Karin said is, is that the most important thing is, um, you know, the, there's this one-to-one -one correlation between our spiritual growth and our, uh, you know, and, and the health of a, a marriage. And so there's like the emphasis for do, you know, do you want to find your soulmate is stop thinking about finding your soulmate, just work on your own spiritual growth and trust the Lord and things are going to work out great. So it's not, uh, you know, and then that any, any relationship you experience you have, whether it's in this world or the next is going to just be an expansion of, of self, that kind of self-expression and self-fulfillment um, in, in life. Yeah. Well, that, that, that's a great way to put it. And makes me think that really the, yeah, the external coming together of these two people is more, more a reflection of the internal, which is how everything in the spiritual world is. You've got thoughts and feelings that manifest in your clothes and surroundings. Cause he talks about, as we mentioned earlier in this show, one person in, in a physical relationship can have conjugal love inside them and the other person doesn't. So he talks about you're trying to get it inside yourself and then that those sorts of pairings can happen. But I would also say looking to that relationship for fulfillment and, and why would you be other dependent for fulfillment? That's the way everything trends in the spiritual world. Because yeah, it's not just that you have a person who you, a soulmate who you get really, really interdependent with. You have God who you get this incredible amount of interdependence with as you start to realize the relationship. Your community though, too. You have a community that, that when you go into it, you know all the knowledge that they know. And when you and if you disconnect from it, you everybody is is vitally interconnected there. It's not just a soulmate thing. And on the other hand, there's this increasing sense of autonomy alongside it, that the more you're an angel, the more you feel, even though you've got this amazing level of connection with everything, the more you feel like you are your own individual person. Even God, who is very totally inside every bit of you, the more close you grow to God, the more you feel like, oh, yeah. I love God and we're right here, but that's God and this is me. You feel this independent. So I think the more you're getting deeper into this conjugal relationship, the more you feel like this is so great working together and we're good friends and this is this is me and that's them. Uh, so something along those lines that, that it's not the sort of defining who you are by someone else or waiting for life to start by someone else. It's It's all the rewards of amazing closeness, but none of the erasure. Yeah. And something I wanted to slip in there is that my uh, shout out to my grandparents. I have a, my grandfather's a, uh, a minister, Swedenborgian minister. So grew up in this tradition. And, and my grandmother has been a speaker on Swedenborgian subjects 
for much of her life. And she has this talk that she'll give on, on marriage and uh, you know, the, the sort of pop culture idea is like, oh, when two become one, you know, ta-da, like the beauty of marriage. And her talk is about when one become two and that that's the ta-da, yay, that that's the sort of beautiful marriage experience that Curtis is describing that it's actually when, as the unity grows, your sense of selfhood and, um, you know, that, that independent experience or more, you know, just cool interdependence that happens grows and grows as you mature in your relationship. And, and then obviously that's what's happening in our relationship with God too. So let's end on that note. Cause we're, we're well out of time here. It's, it's already, we, we've gave them extra four free minutes. We don't do that. <laughs> Made up a little bit for our uh, donation. To, I mean, uh, the yeah, for, our, for our drop time. So um, I, I'm going to say thank you so much uh, to everybody who is watching. Thanks for all the questions that we got. And thank you for your donations. We raised $600 from six donors, three of whom were brand new. Nice to meet you all. Welcome to our community of donors. Thank you, everybody. And thank you, Karin and Chelsea. Awesome insights today. It was really a joy getting to talk this through with you. Uh, it was just such amazing questions, as always, and amazing responses. And uh, it's just an honor and delight <laughs> to be in conversation with you all about these things. Yep, totally. It's really great to be here. And I really love getting to hear these questions and have these conversations with you guys. I really did feel like, oh, yeah, we, let's just, we can just keep going, keep going. But we'll be back next week, same time. You got new content from us coming out all the time. Check it out. Be part of the experience. Take these ideas out into your life and go get that marriage of goodness and truth happening in yourself today. Thanks, everybody.